0: In the year 2010, that program, that model, supported over 1,800 missionaries to the tune of $1.5 million. And so you go, wow, how can a poor state, a poor church in Northeast India provide for so much mission support? But they did.
1: You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host.
2: Hello and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javet. Today I'm joined by Tim Welch, author of New Founding Models for Global Missions: Mission, Learning from the Majority World. Tim Welch served as a missionary in Cote d'Ivoire, for 31 years with same UA, including 22 years as national director. Currently he serves as the same ministry point person for literature. Tim has written five books in French and two books in English with a third book, this one for African children uh, due out later this week. Tim and his wife, Janet live in Colorado, uh, they have two children and four grandchildren. Our topic today focuses on missions, mission funding, specifically how agencies should adapt multiple models and strategies that can support majority world missionaries.
0: Thank you for joining us today, Tim. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Thank you, Dr. Javits, for giving me this privilege to join you. It's a pleasure. As- Absolutely.
2: It's awesome to have you here. I love missions and uh, you will see that I will struggle with mission and missions because that's always my thing. I was missions pastor, so I always mission or missions. Um, But before we get started, please tell us very briefly about your family. I believe and I truly believe in this, that the audience connect with the speaker well when they understand uh, this person is a family man, he is human like uh, everybody else. <laughs> so it should show, it humanizes us as people. Yes. So go ahead, please share a little bit about your family.
0: Sure, well, uh, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Janet, for 40, going on 42 years now. And our two kids are Philip and Katie are now adults. Um, They have their own children. And Philip was less than two years old when we went to Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. And then our daughter Katie was born in Cote d'Ivoire, our first term. So they really see Africa as home in a lot of ways. And they've been very appreciative of the opportunity they had to uh grew up in using another, in another culture and using another language. And, you know, frankly, I think that was, they got the best education possible. So we've always been delighted that um, our kids got to grow up in Africa. That's and awesome. we had to come back a few years ago due to family uh, health. Both of our fathers died in 2016, just a few months apart. And that's
1: why we're uh, based now in the United States.
2: Wow. Yeah, sacrifices huh? in the mission field. Um, why does funding matter? How does it relate to Christianity as a religion? Let's start there. Well,
0: okay, um, I, I can think of three reasons why funding matters, although there are probably more than that. Um, first of all, funding helps to determine who becomes a missionary mm-hmm. and therefore who, who it is that represents Jesus Christ to the world. Um, so, if funding can allow people from all over the world to become missionaries, then it gives the world a much better idea as to who Christians are. When when they see missionaries who come from Asia or Latin America or Africa or Europe or wherever, uh, it that gives a more representative and a more valid picture mm-hmm. of the church to the non-Christian world. So, so that's one reason why funding matters. And then, secondly. Uh, funding matters because traditionally missionary finances come through a mission agency or through a church, and that's not going to work anymore for missionaries who are, who are going to restricted countries.
1: Right,
0: uh, missionaries can't leave a, a paper trail, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to speak, that ties them back to a church or to a mission organization, a Christian organization, if they're working in a restricted country or in a closed country, and And frankly, those closed countries are the primary mission field that still needs to be uh, reached for the future. And then thirdly, I'd say that the traditional model of raising uh, funds where missionaries raise their own support, the burden is on the missionary to raise their own support.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I think that's becoming less effective even in uh, the Western world. And a number of authors say that uh, when you do the research. So. If it isn't working that well, then let's find some some solutions that work better. So there are three reasons why I think funding matters.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I am sure you know this. This is a to me that's a fact because uh, I think your points are so critical for uh, if we really want to engage the majority world into missions field, missionaries from the majority yes. world, then your those points are extremely critical. Because even my in my own personal experience, I was missionary for 12 years before I, um, mm-hmm. you know, decided that I want to pursue a local church ministry. Mm-hmm. And those 12 years, I never got uh, more than $500. And I lived in New York City, midtown Manhattan. Wow. Yes. Um, and the only reason why I survived because God provided uh, housing, food, everything, and that $500 was uh, okay. Um, but it was the reason <laughs> part of the reason was, because uh, yeah. uh Western model didn't work for me. Um I don't have family. I was uh, immigrant, and uh, I came as a student on scholarship. I don't have the network. and then uh, I, and when I did become a pastor, I was a missions pastor in Midtown Manhattan, uh, then I would receive similar um complaint. From uh, my brothers and sisters from a non-Caucasian background, that they have, mm-hmm. they are struggling to follow right. that uh, protocol right. that we put together for them. Like, okay, reach out to this, and then this, and then this. Yes. They would say they don't have because uh, they've been mm-hmm. recipient of those uh, gifts and uh, donations and support, and mm-hmm. uh, they will tell me uh, beautiful stories where parents will, especially people from uh, uh, um, ethnically um you know it, it was one story was from uh, a brother from uh, um a haitian background and he was like so you telling me you want me to give you money so <laughs> it, it was like one of those things because right. uh, i think it took a long time for western uh but when i say western missions i'm talking about especially caucasian um mm-hmm. um predominantly Caucasian background folks to understand what it means to give money toward missions. So I agree with you on those points. And I think these are the things that need to be taught and shared and pastors. And now, by the grace of God, I serve as a a senior pastor of my church. And that's one of Mm -hmm. those things on my mind, how to help uh, majority world missionaries um, in that area. So a good good description of uh,
0: those points, I think. Yeah, and there are probably more.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, what are some of the unique, uh, the unique funding challenges faced by majority world missionaries? Uh, please also explain what majority world means for the sake of clarity. You and I can understand. Um, you understand more. I may understand less, but we have some understanding. So, for the sake of our audience, let's 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 make that very clear for them too.
0: Okay, yeah, sure. By majority world, um, I'm using a term that in the past was called the third world or the two thirds world or the developing world. Um, and now it's often called the global south. Um, I prefer majority world just because that seems, I mean, global south, there are a lot of countries in the Northern hemisphere who are part of the global south. It just, so that's what I mean. The, uh, the non-Western countries of the world. Yeah. Now, as far as some of the funding challenges uh, for majority world missionaries, I mean, especially those missionaries that are trying to raise support using the traditional model, what you just described, you know, trying to raise go out and raise your own support. Um, there are a lot of challenges. One is that there's a certain economic prosperity that's essential for the model to work. And in many uh, countries around the world, that economic prosperity just isn't there. And then not only does there need to be prosperity, but it needs to be sustained over a certain period of time if you're going to support a missionary. I mean, I'm like I said, I've, I'm in my 45th year of living that way. Mm. Um, so you're talking about long-term sustainability. And then, so that doesn't occur too often in the majority world countries. And then next, when a, a missionary has friends that he needs to contact, those friends need to have disposable income on a regular basis. And often they don't have disposable income. And then fourthly, um, raising financial support for yourself needs to be culturally acceptable. And mm. again, in many countries of the world, I can't go and ask for money for myself. That That's not right. And then finally, I think fifthly, uh, fundraising really, it, it tends to, the way we've been doing it, it tends to rely on individualism. Mm. You know, I have to be the, Instigator and the initiator. and and uh, so for these reasons, often none of these premises holds true for majority world countries. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's such a challenge for people from the majority world countries to to raise support. Uh, too many basic assumptions uh, that make that
1: model work aren't valid in their situation.
2: Can you talk us through the? predominant types of funding models i know that you did mention some of them already but let's go back um, talk mm-hmm. us through the predominantly predominant um types of funding models and some of their pros and cons
0: okay well i mean, we've talked about the traditional model which is where the missionary raises his or her own support and in my book i give um 17 other models or strategies So I I don't think we can look at all 18 of them here right now. But there are essentially four categories uh, for these models. And and those categories are really based on income source. And so the first one, the traditional model, I call it traditional, um, where you raise your own support. That's where the income source is the individual, it's one person. Now, the pros and cons of that, I mean, the pros are that when you get people who support you, often they they stay with you long term because they know you. You're not just a, an unknown name on you know on a church list somewhere. They actually know you, and they will stay with you. And the other very important point in that is they pray for you because they know you. And when you're going through a hard time, you know you don't really care if the money's coming in, but you do care that people are praying for you. Um. So those are the pros. The cons are that the burden for raising your financial support is squarely on your shoulders and you're not getting much help. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, again speaking for the majority world, the other con is that that's not culturally acceptable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's one those are the pros and cons of the individual raising their own support. The second one would be a, a, some form of employment and in my book, I talk about tent making. I talk about business as mission or BAM. I talk about a spouse and being seeking outside employment. Um, the pros are that you know sometimes, in in some of those cases, say let's let's say you go over as a missionary uh, doctor. You know you're employed by a hospital or you're a teacher employed by a university. Well, you don't have to worry about fundraising. You have a salary. Um, the other advantage of that is you get to go quickly. You don't have to take time to raise support. The need is there, you can go, assuming you're available. Um, so it's a speedy way to get to the mission field. The cons of that, the challenges of that is that sometimes you can lose your job or in the case of tent making and also businesses' mission, um, a lot of times you focus way too much on your own business because you have to make that business work. And that's not a given. (laughs) So you have to make it work and and you spend all your time focusing on your business side and not on ministry side. So those are the cons to where the income is based on employment. Uh, The third source of income would be the mission agency. And I saw that in both Ethiopia and India where the mission agency generates the income for the missionaries, not the missionary themselves. So the advantage of that, the the pros are that, uh, you know, usually the director of a mission agency is a well-known person. It's an experienced person in terms of uh, speaking in front of others, um, that type of thing. So that's helpful. You know, a mission director can get an entrance into a local church much faster than, you know, an unknown first-time missionary. Um, the downside of that is that sometimes, uh, that mission director can get sick (laughs) and spend two months in the hospital. Well, if he's not out there or she's not out there raising support for two months, that's going to trickle down and affect all the missionaries, you know, in, in subsequent months. So that's the downside of it. Or, you know, maybe you're part of a mission and your mission director is not especially gifted in fundraising. Well, you're going to feel it. So, those are the pros and cons of where the mission agency is the primary mover in raising support. And then the fourth one would be where the church is the primary source of income. Uh, the The advantages of that model is that the burden of, of fundraising is on a lot of people, and not only on a lot of people in a lo- in one church, but it can be on a whole denomination. Sometimes, not just your local church, but other uh, partner churches, join in and help you with fundraising. So that's that's great. I mean, that really spreads the burden out over a lot of people. Um, the downside of that is that uh, pastors can change. Policies can change in a church. And I mean, we, we knew some friends when the first time we went out to Cote d'Ivoire in 1986, uh, some friends of ours, they went to Ghana with SIM and they got all their support from their home church. Well, that was wonderful until about, you know, four or five years later, their pastor changed and they didn't like that idea. And all of a sudden they lost more than half their support in one fell swoop. So that's the downside. Uh, <laughs> so I advocate in, in my book that we, we use multiple models, you know, we don't just stick with one model, but let's use multiple models um, and you know, use them all together so that we can uh, hedge our bets, so to speak. (laughs) You know, when one of these cons, one of these challenges arises, well, I've got other things to fall back on. And I I can just say that, okay, those are the basic categories. Um, I mentioned other models in the book. Uh, And, you know, there are ones like, the the ones that really stood out to me when I did my research a few years back there's one called the 12 church model, which came from uh, Peru and Bolivia. And that is where a missionary sought out 12 churches and said, OK, you're going to give me, you know, church number one, you support me for January. Church number two, you support me for February. And I thought that's a great idea. <laughs> you know, it's simple to understand. And so the another advantage of that model is that once a church is given, you can and it can be a poor church. You know, if they can raise the funds for one month of support, then they have 12 whole months to raise funds for next January or next February. So they don't have to be a wealthy church to, to do that. And you can modify that model. And the one example that I know of, they did. They actually used 14 instead of 12. And one church provided funds for travel to get to the field. and Another church provided funds for travel to get home on home assignment. So. That, that, I thought that was a wonderful model. Um, now, it's got its disadvantages. You know, what if one church doesn't come through, then you're really stuck, <laughs> So, uh, for at least for a month. Wow. So, yeah, that, every, every model has a good side and its downside. All right, And then another model I found uh, from Northeast India is called A Handful of Rice. And, and that's a model that has been in existence for over 110 years in in northeast india which is not a wealthy part of india but that is where people in the church and start with women the women in the church for every meal would set aside a handful of rice
1: hmm. as
0: they cooked and then at the end of the week or the end of the month they would take that rice that had been set aside and give it to the church or to a mission agency and the funds from, from selling that rice would go for mission well in in the year 2010 that program that model supported over 1800 missionaries to the tune of 1.5 million dollars and so you go wow how how can you know poor a poor state a poor church in northeast india provide for so much mission support but they did wow so, i mean that that's an amazing that's an amazing model and we can use that i mean all over the world anybody can use that that's so one of the pros, one of the advantages of that model is you can use anything. You, you know, it could be rice, it can be corn, it can be millet, you know, whatever. It can be charcoal, it can be wood, you know, for starting a fire. Whatever it is, you know, you can use it. Uh, the downside is that, you know, that it's relied upon uh, the church to be faithful and, you know, you truly using that money for mission. So uh, you hope that, your church representatives, you know, are, are faithful and people of integrity and do it. So I thought that was a wonderful model already coming from the majority world. Uh, another one, this one came from Papua New Guinea. It's, I called it a mission designation. Um, and that is where people in the church designate something in their uh, daily life or weekly life or mission. So, for instance, there were there was a farmer who had some land, and I don't know what he was growing, but uh, he designated one corner of his lot, you know, for mission. And th- the person who was telling me the story said that he didn't have much. the The farmer didn't have much faith because the part of the lot he designated was actually low lying and often waterlogged and didn't produce much. <laughs> And so he was going to give that to the Lord permission. And the year he did that, um, that corner part of his lot produced more than anything else. <laughs> so he learned he learned a good lesson on faith. But, um, and, and there was another person in Papua New Guinea who was a rancher, and he had cows. And he named one of his cows uh, India. And when that cow was slaughtered, the proceeds for that, Uh, Sale went to mission in India. Well, that's a wonderful model. Um, You know, we can do that with anything. People in the church. You know, let's say you're an Uber driver. You know, you may not even have a full time job, but you drive for Uber. You can you can say, okay, my clients Tuesday afternoon from three to five. You know, that goes for mission. You can just designate a part of your day, a part. You know, if you're a waitress, uh, the tips I get, you know, on Saturday, uh, you know, from 8 to 12 at night, go, go to mission. You, you can designate something. And, and that's a wonderful model, I think. Let's let's use it for a mission. Um, another model was called revolving savings. And that's something that exists all around the world. Um, I've seen it in South America and Africa and Asia, wherever. And that's where you, people in church, often my experience in churches in Africa was that it's usually the women's group. So they would get together, the women's group, let's say you have 20 women and every woman every week brings and and gives $5, let's say that, $5 to the group. And so every week you have raised $100. Well, a woman would have a hard time raising $100, uh, saving for, to have $100, but she can save five in a week. So every week, some woman gets $100. And so over the course of 20 weeks, every woman has received uh, a loan or a savings amount in, uh, in, for $100, which they could never save otherwise. And then they can put that to work for whatever they want to do. That, that type of savings is more effective than savings accounts in banks. Um, and research has shown that even people who work in banks within the bank have set up their own revolving savings. <laughs> I saw an example of that in Senegal. So let's take advantage of these models that exist already to raise money
1: mm.
0: and let's apply that to mission. You know, churches can apply that to mission. You know, you or you could, Join in with other churches in your own denomination and do that, and say, "Okay, every week, you know, we'll give twenty dollars for mission." Uh, and with other churches, you know, if you had ten other churches, well, there's two hundred dollars a week for for mission, and then you can you can give that. So let's take advantage of these other models that already exist in the majority world, and and use them. Yeah, that's fantastic.
2: What what about the biblical basis for these different models?
0: Well. In, in the scriptures, there are a lot of uh, principles for funding. You know, such as the missionary does have the right to raise his or her own own support uh, and to seek support from others. You you see that um, believers need to be generous in their giving. You know, you see that we can advocate for other people. The Apostle Paul does that. Um, um, we need to be we need to have integrity in how we handle money. So those are biblical principles. You know, for all the models that exists. As far as actual models of giving, you know, in the scriptures, you see tent making in in the book of Acts, and you see the idea of people living off the fruit of their ministry. You know, you see that in Philippians, you see Paul talking about in 1 Timothy 5. So um, those those two models exist, uh, tent making and living off the fruit of ministry. But that doesn't mean that these other models aren't valid biblically, uh, you know, since there, there are biblical principles that talk about partnerships, which is one of the models I talk about in my book, you know, about employment through hard work, um, about being frugal and, you know, being wise in how you spend your, your money, about saving for the future. So, you know, that covers models like uh, an endowment fund. So those other models are biblical in that sense, but you don't see you know, the Apostle Paul setting up an endowment fund. Um, But nonetheless, I think think there's a scriptural basis for all of them.
2: While your book is helpful and informative to all kinds of churches and denominations and parachurch organization, how would you advise the average Western pastor to approach funding missions?
1: Well,
0: my main advice for a pastor is for him or her to see how critical mission is to the message of the Bible. And and for the pastor to encourage the local church to initiate mission giving. Um, Last week, I was in Cape Town, South Africa at an African mobilization consultation. And there, a mission leader said that uh, mission is not a department of the church. Mission is what the church is all about. And You know, the advantage of of some of these models I've talked about, like revolving savings or handful of rice or mission designation, is that, you know, they're implemented by the local church or the the members of the church, not by a mission agency or or missionary. And I I think the pastor is the key person in instilling a mission vision in the local church. If If the local pastor doesn't have a mission vision, he'll have a hard time I mean, the church will have a hard time uh, having that vision, so the, the the pastor is key so i would I would advise a pastor to to not wait till a mission agency or a missionary comes along asking for support, but to go ahead and see uh, how the message of mission is all throughout the scriptures and and just take a look and see what God is doing around the world because God is at work all over the world. and you know go ahead and, and do some research and see what god is doing around the world and, and encourage the congregation to join in in what god is doing yeah how can christians
2: in the west uh
1: best support majority world missionaries well um i, I guess i would say that it, one one way is to have them support
0: a ministry as opposed to a missionary. Um, And I I mentioned that as another model in my book. Um, You know, if God has laid a certain people group on on your heart, if uh, he's laid a certain type of ministry on your heart, like radio ministry or Bible translation or whatever, then, then look for those ministries. You don't have to know somebody, but you can look for those different ministries or missions that are ministering to that different people, that people
1: group. Uh, you know, look for those, and go ahead and support them. you know otherwise i I wouldn't necessarily encourage uh, Western donors to support majority
0: world missionaries. I would encourage them to support Western missionaries, and I'd like to see majority world churches supporting majority world missionaries because they can do that, but I'm convinced the funding is there, so
1: well
2: wow. that's what I would say. <laughs> wow, that's bold. I, I I, think especially depending on, uh, you know, based on your previous uh, recommendation, the, uh, you know, economical disparity and uh, lack of teaching in those uh, communities, especially when it comes to uh, unreached people group and uh, people where the gospel has not made uh, um, bold stand yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, is difficult for those people, but yet uh, your this statement is that still those people should be supporting their uh, work. Yeah,
1: majority
0: world. Uh, wow, and they can, they can, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll give you one example: Ethiopia. Sure. You know, Ethiopia is one of the poorest countries in the world. They're I saw a list in an economic journal where they list all the 192 countries of the world and Ethiopia was like the number 161. So, you know, it is really down there economically, but I did research in, in uh, Addis Ababa and the Ethiopian church is so mission-minded. They are sending out missionaries. They are concerned about the world and and they're doing these other models. You know, there's a banana farmer who said three, three of my banana trees are for a mission. You know, they're they're advocating on behalf of others. There's third-party advocacy. Um, they're using diaspora Ethiopians to help fund. You know, they're doing work projects, uh, digging wells and things like that, and then turning that into a local tent-making business. So. Ethiopia remains one of the poorest countries in the world, but they have a heart for mission. And so and they're doing it. So the economic situation, yes, it, it's helpful,
1: especially if you're going to be on the traditional model. But you can still support missions in other models and, and do it.
0: Hmm. But again, that whole economic question is really tied in more to the, using the traditional model. When you get outside of that model and use others, there are ways to be mission, very much a mission minded church.
2: Are there any commonly held assumptions about funding missions and missionaries that you would like to dispel? Other than what you just said, that. that yeah,
0: that's, that's the first one, one, those, one. Right? You know, the assumption is that, oh, Africa is too poor, and Latin America, Asia is too poor, they can't do it. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. In fact, they are doing it. Um, you know, the Western world isn't the only region in the world with money. Uh, so there is there is the need, though, to help majority world churches uh, see this new economic reality and buy into it. You know, the, the business world has bought into it. and It's time for the church to buy into it as well.
1: Good. Yeah. And
0: I think another thing is partnerships between the West and the majority world. Um, a lot of times, you know what they fall apart if the only asset that the Western partner is bringing is money. You know, partnerships so, partnerships like that usually result in more damage than good. Uh, but partnerships can be effective when there is a mutual accountability, when there's a trust relationship already developed, when there's good communication and other things. But it's not just oh, we have money, you have the people let's partner like no you need to know each other a lot better than that and uh so i'm I'm not against partnerships but there are conditions that need to be met for them to work and then that's another bold statement you made there again well (laughs) sorry i'm not trying to start any arguments but that's good good and (laughs) i think finally um And it's what I already mentioned, you know, with the church in Ethiopia, and it's also true in countries like Nigeria and India. um, In the end, mission support doesn't depend on our billfold as much as it depends on our heart. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When we've caught a vision for mission, um, then people are eager to send out missionaries. And, you know, I think the church in those countries, and especially like uh, Ethiopia, Nigeria, and India, have really caught a heart for mission. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it. They're
2: doing, but what here's? Let me push back on sure. on one thing. I'm going to push back, but the other one is more of a uh, issue that I see and I think it needs to be addressed from the Western side. So the pushback is, um, do you do you see if uh, um, if we say, hey? Uh, people in the majority world, even though you economically, economically, you are not there, the church is poor. Like, yes, maybe the country is not poor anymore or have more resources, but the church is. For example, let's take the example of uh, India. Uh, A a large portion of Christians come from Dilith community, right? Uh, Same thing in Pakistan. So these are the people who have no education. They are on the bottom of everything. And if we do not provide uh, for them or help them to get somewhere, they will never, because that's where we failed. We did not help them with the education. So they never got to a point. So they're hardly able to. So they they will be like, uh, um, sort of like, uh, in our contemporary setting in the United States, they are the homeless people. But still, mm-hmm. they refuse to live in, uh, you know, in the street, they're still willing right. to do whatever it takes, and mm-hmm. they get by. So that's one place where I have, uh, Still, that struggle that if a brother has more, should he not share with Hmm. another brother who has next Hmm. to nothing? Uh, So that will be the push uh, pushback point, right? And of course, you're not saying that don't do it. You're saying that that's one of the things to remember. That's assumption dispelling that hey, they're not they are capable because there are some who are doing. So I got that. The pushback will be how uh, how to. Uh, help uh, uh, folks here in the United States to capture that idea too uh, right not only uh, tell them like okay um, they can do it so you need to give money to your western brothers and sisters but the pushback is against that uh, native um, native missions that we are trying to promote here right they help a because political climate is so bad. Outside of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, especially third world countries or majority world where we want to go, they don't want to receive us. are uh, there are more, constric- uh, 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 there are mm-hmm. more restrictions on uh, yes. visas now than ever before uh, for Americans going there to mm-hmm. um, so that one. and the second thing is more of a, a struggle that I see in this whole uh, conversation, and that struggle is if a large Portion, and it's true in Pakistan, it's true in Nigeria, it's true in Ethiopia, also everywhere else. Um, there's a portion, large portion of American Western, um, even Canada is the same way. London, uh, England would be part of that too, where they have been in the habit of giving money to those who are able to talk back, right? There is those who are able to create reports and create this beautiful thing that, that the, the people here can show and make uh, some money. So therefore, they prefer those partnership, those who are able to communicate, even though maybe they are not the best in the field, uh, local people. So mm-hmm. I see that, okay, and I have this uh, a huge issue personally, because my dad, he is one of those guys who can't speak English, but he has one of the largest, uh, more uh, productive church in uh, um, Lahore, Pakistan, right? But Mm -hmm. then these kids, they were born and their parents probably were born in his church. And they came out of this. And now these kids who have no ministry, but they are really good with internet. They are really good with social media. They're really Mm -hmm. good with creating a narrative and story, even though they don't do much. So this is not one story. I'm just giving you a personal story. There are so many stories I receive. And and the problem is um, how to help the West to continue to support, but not not just put money in the wrong place where division is taking place in Mm -hmm. the field now because they Mm -hmm. see another person receiving so much money and having those cars and houses and security where the other brother who's actually doing the work is not even, doesn't even have enough money to buy a new pair of shoes that wore out like some, uh, you know, eight, nine Mm -hmm. months ago.
0: Mm -hmm. So that division Yeah, that's one of the problems with partnerships. And, you know, that's been addressed in in the past. Um, Robertson McQuilkin from Columbia International University wrote some articles, I think it was in Christianity Today, about, you know, the danger of partnerships where you're just providing the money. And how that, you know, it creates problems. It creates problems on the field where, you know, there are those pastors who are in and then those who are outside. And, you know, it creates competition and you you rely on the donor instead of relying on God. And, you know, he gives a whole list of uh, reasons why that is not a good idea. I I think it goes back to the whole idea of partnerships and partnerships need to be very thoroughly uh, researched and studied. And there are a number of wonderful partners in the majority world and good ones in the in the Western world. And it's a question of getting them together. And, but, um, you know, I think the research would show that when, again, when the only question is I'm bringing money to the table and you guys do the work, often the person bringing the money starts to control the scenario, starts to dictate, this is what you have to do. And that's why it requires relationship. It requires trust. It requires communication. Um, sometimes plans, things change, you know, circumstances change, and you can't use the money the way you thought you were giving it, and that needs to be communicated and understood, and in the end, trust that people are still using it for God's purposes. So um, there, there's a book on partnerships by Mary, uh, leader, Lighter Lightner, Leader Lightner, I'm sorry. Um, that's an excellent book. And she brings out all of those points um, on partnerships. So partnerships can work. And, and yes, Western donors should be generous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They should be generous
1: mm-hmm.
0: with partners. but But choose your partners wisely and have their partnerships need to be a two-way street. Just because you've got the money doesn't mean you get to call all the shots. Yeah, and I I think too many Western partners come in with that mentality. So,
2: I love I love the way you you are stating that very bottom bottom line you're giving us is be generous, but be be wise uh, about yes. the partnership. Vet it carefully. Have a reciprocal relationship, and not focus on. Uh, one side, you know, because mm-hmm. he's poor, I got more or guilt-based, right. you know, or exactly. the other things. I, I love this this idea of uh, be generous, but also be wise in your um, mm-hmm. uh, planning mm-hmm. and vetting deeply right. what kind of partnership, uh, which is true, you know, in any relationship, a uh, relationship between you and I, relationship between me and my wife, you and your wife, it's everywhere. We When we get into those relationship, generosity is... Uh, uh, it should be there in every way. Otherwise, we will never sure. never forgive each other. We will hold grudges. We mm-hmm. will destroy a relationship. But also, it will uh, deteriorate our uh, household because uh, who is bringing more in and all the other things. So I exactly. think it's, it's good to be generous, but wise how that investment is made. Exactly. Uh, before we close out today's episode, Tim, is there anything else you like to add?
0: Well, yes, I would say two things. Um, As I thought about this, some people say, oh, you're presenting all these other models, so you're against the traditional model. No, I'm not against using the traditional model of the missionary raising their own support. I mean, I've been receiving income via that model for uh, going on 45 years now. So and it it works in a lot of cases and especially in in North America. But I think we just need to supplement it with other models Mm -hmm. and not say, no, this is how you have to do it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, I, when I did my research, I ran into a lot of pastors. Now, this was in Cote d'Ivoire and, and West Africa, especially. And they were afraid. They said, listen, if I go to my church and talk about mission, we have to support mission. That's what, you know, it's on God's heart. Let's reach the world for Christ. But what's going to happen to funding for local ministry? And what's going to happen to my salary? <laughs> you know. Are they going to give to that instead of to uh, to me, you know, and that's a legitimate fear. But, um, you know, historically, and, and in my own research, I asked a number of pastors this question. And, you know, does the local ministry suffer when you focus on mission? And the answer is no. Over 80 percent of the pastors said when they emphasize giving to world mission, local mission funding increased as well. So. I mean the odds are very good, and and I've seen that that same statement in other uh, sources. You know that when you focus on generosity for world mission, other giving tends to go up as well. So I think that fear is not founded, and so that that would be the other thing to just to, you know, assuage pastors and say you don't have to fear that. Oh, if I do this, my my own salary is going to take a hit.
1: Probably not.
0: Probably.
2: And I think that also uh, true for an average layperson too. A, a listener, most likely the person uh, who will be responding to this uh, podcast, is uh, mm-hmm. yes, a, a pastor, but B, a person who might be uh, thinking about supporting or has not supported mm-hmm. and may end up supporting. And for that person, it's important for them to know that uh, is it create a generous heart. When we care about God's business, He cares about us. Uh, not yes. that He's not gonna care about us if we don't uh, give, mm-hmm. but it's just one of those things that uh, we see that in Nehemiah, right? Or we see that in Malachi. We see that uh, in mm-hmm. all these books, when we give, whether it's our uh, gifts and talents in case of Nehemiah's uh-huh. book or money in the case of uh, Malachi, where they are literally taking not giving god what god deserved and he yeah. talks about that but so i think the lord was, honors the lord right. honors
0: generosity
2: so i, I think it has uh, your comment has the application for uh, everybody who is listening to this sure. podcast mm-hmm. tim if uh, listeners wants to get in touch how can they do that how should they approach you
0: well i mean if they want to contact me via email my email is just my name and my organization so it's tim dot Welch, W-E-L-C-H, at S-I-M dot O-R-G. Um, And also I've created a Facebook page. Uh, if they want to make comments there, there's there's a Facebook page called New Funding Models for Global Mission. So just the name of the book. And I will try to make some regular posts to that page and respond to people as they uh, pose questions. Um, I will admit that social media is not one of my spiritual gifts (laughs) but i'll do my best (laughs) great that will also be
2: included in the episode description uh thank you so much for being here but let me ask you the last thing i always ask my all all of my guests and that is share with us something funny tell us a joke and here's my rationale for that most of the episodes are very tense we deal with mm-hmm. the very difficult topics and sometimes uh, um it's important to allow people to again uh, go home not depressed but joyful <laughs> so uh, so so tell us a joke to lighten the
0: mood okay well here's one that i found that i think you'll like so there's a cowboy who walks into a bar and he orders three mugs of beer
1: mm-hmm.
0: now he sits in the back of the room And he drinks a sip out of each one in turn. And when he finishes the three beers, he comes back to the bar and he orders three more. And the bartender comes up and he tells the cowboy, he says, You know, a mug of beer can go flat after I draw it. It would taste a lot better if you bought one beer at a time. And the cowboy says, Well, listen, you see, I have two brothers. One's an airborne ranger. The other's a Navy SEAL, and they're both serving overseas somewhere in very dangerous assignments. So when we all left home, we promised that we'd drink this way in order to remember the days when we drank together. So I'm drinking one beer for each of my brothers and one for myself. And the bartender said, well, that OK, that, that makes sense. You know, that's a nice custom. And so he, he dropped it. And every day, I mean, not every day, but regularly, the cowboy would come in, and he would order three beers and drink them a little bit, each one drink it that way, and uh, drink them in turn.
1: And that, that went on for a while, but one day he came in, and he, and he only ordered two beers. And all the regulars took notice, and pretty soon the whole bar was silent. And tears began to come to the eyes of a few of the patrons. And so the cowboy went up,
0: he, he drank his two beers, and he went back up to the bar and ordered two the second time. And the bartender said, you know, I don't want to intrude on your grief, but I just wanted to offer my condolences on your loss. And the cowboy was a little bit puzzled, couldn't figure out what he was talking about, and then Oh, the light came on and he he just laughed. He said, oh, no. He said, everybody's just fine. It's just that my wife and I joined the
1: Baptist church and I had to quit drinking. It hasn't affected my brothers, though. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, bro. That's awesome.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show again. That was Tim Welch. And thank you to all our listeners. We truly could not do this without you. If you learned something, have a topic suggestion, or would like to leave us uh, feedback, drop us a note at OurUrbanVoices.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in in two weeks for more honest discussions from Diverse Voices.
1: You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry.